Hey, good morning, Ridgecrest. It's good to be back with you guys again this morning. Of course, today, some of you now ha have lost track of days. I was talking to a guy earlier this week, and he wrote me, he said, how are you doing on days? And I said, man, it's Tuesday, right? Well, it was actually yesterday. And so maybe that's where some of you are. You're kind of lost your rhythm, you've lost your routine, and it's hard to keep track of, of, of which day switch when all you're trying to do at this point is not, be, not breathe on someone, not be breathed on, and, and not touch your face, which reminds me. And so, but today is, is Palm Sunday, and so I want us to begin in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 21, looking at Christ's entry into Jerusalem. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Now, Jesus had given some instructions to the disciples to go to the city and to find the animal. And this was to fulfill Zechariah 9.9, which says in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and those that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So this is the scene as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Everybody is just kind of awash with anticipation. And they are celebrating his entrance. They're celebrating the fact that he's come. They're celebrating who they understand him to be. And, and, and they're displaying it in all these various ways. Crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they're just lifting their voices. They're laying their goats down. They're cutting branches and laying them on the ground. All these various things to display their thankfulness of what they assume God is doing. And what we have today in, in the passage before us in Colossians 1, 12-14 is a display not of this temporary thankfulness that was exchanged for shouts of crucify, but what we have is an enduring thankfulness given to us through the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you join with me as we read through Colossians 1, the last little bit of 11 and down through verse 14? Paul writes and says, With joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us again before we study this passage together. Father, I'm thankful that You give us cause for rejoicing. God, you give us cause for rejoicing that is so much greater than the difficulty of our circumstance. That is so much greater than the uncertainty of our lived future here. Father, you give us cause for rejoicing in who you are. In what you've done. In what you're doing. In what you have already settled fully, finally, complete for our future and the future of the world. And we submit these things to you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. 
Now, other translations you read through will begin this, and the way that they will start it is they'll say, joyfully giving thanks. And I think that's the way to understand the last little bit of 11 and the first little bit of 12. Now, let me remind you kind of the structure of what Paul has talked about so far. Back in verse 9, Paul said, I have not ceased to pray for you, and I'm praying very specific things for you. I'm praying that that as you walk out your faith, your manner of walking would be such, verse 10, that you're bearing fruit, that you're growing in the knowledge of God and, and increasing in that. Verse 11, that you are strengthened with all strength according to his glorious might. And now here he turns to the idea of thankfulness. Now, it's interesting that as Paul turns to thankfulness, he doesn't write to those in in Colossae and say, listen, all the various things that you might be experiencing, the difficulties that you might be encountering, all these things are illusory. All these things are just uh, within your imagination. You just need to put all of this stuff out of your mind. and, And when you put all of these things out of your mind, then you'll be ready to give thanks. At least he doesn't say that in my Bible. I assume he doesn't say that in yours. What he communicates is a thankfulness that transcends circumstance. What he communicates is a thankfulness that is so much greater than any present difficulty we might ever experience. Now, the psalmist says it well in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 1. He writes and says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. What does he say? I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So we begin to get the sense that, that thankfulness can be directed a number of things. And so I jotted down a few of them. One of the things that we're certainly to be thankful for today, some of us, is our ongoing health. Man, our ongoing health, our, our, uh, the fact that God has saved some of us, our, our jobs, and allowed us to do them in a different way than we did before them. We're to be thankful for the many blessings he's bringing us that we're presently experiencing, that we are seeing. I think more difficultly and, and, and more challenging for us is the idea that in some sense we're to be thankful for the hardship God allows us to experience. Now listen, I want to be honest, and and I want to be forthright in this. God is not calling you to change your disposition and and, and go from being a person who fundamentally says, you know, that that glass is just preeminently half full or half empty. He's not trying to change your perspective in that. But James chapter 1 gives us a sense of the purpose of God in the difficulties of life. And he writes and says, Count it all blessing, my, my brothers, when you meet various trials of different kinds. Why? Because he goes on and he says, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So as we experience the difficulties presently, we recognize that God is working those things to show us our greater need for him, and to grow our faith. This is a difficult thing for us to do, and I think we decidedly need the help and the equipping of the Lord to do. And this is why before coming into telling us we needed to be thankful, or we need to joyfully give thanks, he told us you need to be strengthened with all strength according to his glorious might. Our friends, God has strengthened us to the measure of his full might. Amen? God has strengthened us to the measure of his full might and walking forward in that reality, we are able to be a joyfully thankful people. We're able to be a joyfully thankful people. And what Paul talks about uh, preeminently, most importantly within this passage, is the idea that we are thankful for the salvation our God has worked in the world and we are thankful for the salvation that he has worked in our hearts. And that's what this passage shows us today. 
We are able to be thankful in the midst of tremendous difficulty because of the great work of salvation our God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Look at how he goes on in the second part of verse 12. Our thankfulness is to be directed towards someone. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say, listen, you need to be super thankful for Epaphras because he's the one that started your church there. He's the one that communicated your need to us. And so your thankfulness needs to find its place in him. No, he says, listen, your thankfulness needs to be directed to the Father because God has done something decidedly unique, because God has done something fundamentally that you are unable to accomplish on your own. What has he done? He says, the Father has qualified you. God has qualified us. Now, when I think about the idea of qualification, and maybe your mind goes here as well, I begin to think, you know, I, I've got my job in some sense because of all the various things that I've done over the course of my life. The experience I've had, uh, the people I've befriended, the networks I've built, the degrees that I've earned, and, and, and all of these things has been in some sense built forward to create this, this long string of CV or resume of my qualifications, but I also think back to when I was 15 living in Louisiana and all I wanted to do like any other 15 year old at that time was to drive and to drive on my own. And so I went to a driver's ed course over a few different weeks and I sat there and it was like Cajun driving or something. I can't remember the name of it. I should have given you an indication of where the story's going. And so I'm in there, and, and I'm learning this, and I feel fully qualified to drive. And, and for whatever reason, the state of Louisiana and, the, and the, the guy who went in the test drive with me said, uh-huh, you're good. And so he stamped the deal, and he said, I'm qualified to drive. And so there I am, just some, some lonely Thursday night, driving my dad's car. He's beside me to the right. My mom's in the back seat, and I am qualified to drive, right? And so I'm, standing, I'm sitting there, rather, 10 and 2, I'm just kind of locked on the road, radio down, no distractions, this number, this number, this number, checking all the mirrors, you know, just kind of going through this number. And then all of a sudden, in the rear view, I say, flashing lights. Now, I knew what to do if I was driving and I saw flashing lights. Let's move to the side, right? That's easy. Everybody knows that. But I'm at a stoplight. I'm at a four-way stoplight in a major intersection and for whatever reason, my 15-year-old brain at that moment was unable to process all the various things. And, and the idea that I'm qualified and I had a license that said you're qualified meant nothing at that point because all I could think of was what <laughs> to do. And then the thought came to me, you got to get out of the way. So I punched it. I mean, I flew through that intersection. I heard my mom go, ah! I heard my dad go, hmm! And I just ramped up on the curb, and I jumped up out of the way, and he blew on past me. I had cleared the road because I was qualified. Man, my qualification didn't mean very much because it wasn't met with experience, and it was all based upon my presumption that that card meant something. Maybe where you're sitting today, maybe as you're listening to this, you're wondering of the strength of your qualification. You, you read this, and it says, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And you begin to wonder, has God really qualified me? Has God really affected change in me? Or is, is God able to overcome the significant setbacks that I present him in the failures of my life? And when we think that, we fundamentally misunderstand the amazing work, the miraculous work that our God has effected in us by virtue of his qualification, not built on the goodness of our own selves. 
Now, interestingly, this word is only ever used one other place in the New Testament, and that's by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about how great salvation is and the fact that he gets to be a messenger for God. And in chapter 2, and starting in verse 15, he says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are, being, who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And then he asks this thing. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Who can measure up? Who is eligible? Well, he answers this further down in chapter 3. He picks it back up in verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is having come from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Now look at what he says. He uses the verbal form in verse 6. God, who has made us sufficient. Our God makes us sufficient. Our God qualifies us. God's grace and his mercy is lavished upon you in his kindness and goodness through Jesus Christ. Look at the degree to which he has qualified you. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God looked at all of your liabilities. He looked at all of your failures. And he looked at this cosmic exchange where he exchanged all of your failures for all of the benefits of Jesus. He took all of your sins and he took all of the perfection of Jesus. He took all of your failures and your sins and he gave you instead the exchange righteousness of Jesus. God looks at you, he qualifies you, and he reckons you holy. We have an inheritance. None of those Gentiles who received this, they, ha- they had no right understanding and ability to understand, so I've got something waiting for me. I have an inheritance, but to a Jew who might have heard this, they say, yes, our inheritance was the land. And he goes to the Jew and he goes to the Gentile and he says, it's not the land. Your inheritance is with the saints in light. Your inheritance is being sanctified. Your inheritance is joining with God, joining with the Son, and joining with the Holy Spirit, living forever for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And this was the hope, and this was the promise that he called them to. Now, he had said this to them back in verse 5 of chapter 1. He said, but it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They have a hope laid up for them in heaven, and, and Peter has dressed it. And we've talked about this before. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, what? Born again to a living hope. Friend, you have been born again. This is the whole conversation Jesus has in John chapter 3. How can we see the kingdom? You must be born again. He says you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Your future is set. Your inheritance is established because God, the Father, has reckoned you holy. He and He alone has qualified you. God has qualified you. So we begin to have this understanding that that our past has been changed, that our present is steadfast, and that our future is secure. Look at what He goes on and says in verse 13. He says he has qualified you and then he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son. We are able to be thankful because we've been qualified. We are able to give joyous thanks because we have been redeemed. We have been delivered and transferred. This idea of deliverance. You remember the story uh, of the Exodus. The Israelites were held in captivity in Egypt. There was a, a Pharaoh who didn't know them, who didn't know their history and their story, and so he enslaved them. And so God sent Moses, who would be their redeemer, to lead them out of captivity, right? Who would lead them in deliverance. But look at what it says in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God was their deliverer. God is your deliverer. I think we have to understand in this that we were in need of deliverance. We weren't sitting around and just kind of mostly good people who are marginally inclined towards God. We just need everything to break right at the right time. What he tells us in this is that we were in need of deliverance. No, he says it more strongly or more directly in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, for at one time you were darkness. We were entrapped in darkness. Our hearts weren't inclined towards the Lord. We weren't moving towards God. We were in darkness. He says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Our God has redeemed us from darkness. He has transferred us from this. Now, how are we stuck in darkness? Paul describes Satan and, and what he does is the Lord of darkness in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, he says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Man, when you were formerly dead and lost in your sins and trespasses, Satan masqueraded and he told you that everything this life had was good and it was all you ever needed. That your job was good and it was all you ever needed. That your family was great and it was all you ever needed. That your health was sufficient and it was all you ever needed. And he wanted you to find your purpose. He wanted you to find your value. He wanted you to find your everything in the here and now. But God has rescued you from those things. We recognize that our health is able to fail fail. Our job is able to disappear. Our family can desert us, and we ourselves can desert our family, ruin our health, and lose our job on the basis of our own failures. But what we see in the midst of this is that our God is a delivering God, and in that we can rejoice, and in that we can joyously give thanks. So this God took us from the midst of this, right? He took us from the midst of darkness. And the way that Paul writes about this is an already settled, finished, finally done product, right? It's not, it's not something we're in process of, but he has delivered us and he has transferred us. He has transferred us. God has come in and he's fundamentally altered our present existence on the basis of his gracious investment in our lives. 
So he took us from living under the domain of the enemy, living in the midst of darkness, living in waywardness, living in disbelief, and he has delivered us and transferred us to where? It says he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, Peter talks about this kingdom in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, have, who has called you, where? From out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you get the, the, the powerfulness of what he says here? That God hasn't moved us from darkness to not quite as dark. That God hasn't moved us from, from darkness to mostly bright. When I go in to wake my son up in the morning, I hear from his monitor, and he says, Daddy, I'm awake. Mama, I'm awake. And I go in there, and I don't, I don't just flip on the light because that light would be pretty blinding, but that's what Paul figures here. We had no semblance and no understanding of what light was outside the common grace of God that drew us to him. And what we see in the midst of this is that God has turned on the lights. He's moved us from darkness and waywardness and sinfulness, and he's transferred us into light and forgiveness and redemption. Because it's in this son who has this kingdom that he finishes in verse 14. He says, in him, in Jesus, you have redemption. And he describes redemption this way. He says, redemption is this. It is the forgiveness of sins. It's the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Man, there is good news. There's much to be sad about today. There's much to be uh, distressing over. There's much to be worried over. But all these things are passing. All these things are fleeting. The sure promise of your redemption rests in something that does not fail. The sure promise for your hope rests in something that will not disappoint. It rests in your settled redemption. And that's not on you sustaining a happy heart and a good attitude every day. That has been accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Now, the really cool thing that Paul does here is he talks about we currently give thanks. Why? Because of things that have happened in the past. We have been qualified. We have been delivered. We have been transferred. But then he says, we currently have redemption. Redemption is something that is in wor at work in you each and every day. So you wake up in the morning and you're reminded of your failures from yesterday. You're reminded of the lapses of hope. You're reminded of that failed opportunity to testify to the goodness of God. You're reminded of your out and out sin. You're losing the battle for sexual purity. You're losing the battle over drugs. You're losing the battle over alcohol. You're losing the battle over your tongue. You're losing the battle over your mind and your heart. And all those things come rushing in. And what we meet those various accusations with isn't, I'm gonna do better today. What we meet those various accusations with isn't, I'm just going to take a mulligan. What we meet those accusations with, 
is the present redemption we have in Jesus. Take hope. You have been redeemed. God sent his son to be a perfect sacrifice for you. For your sins, past, present, and future, Jesus can redeem you from your waywardness. God sent his son in the fullness of time to surrender his life, to die on a Roman cross, and then he raised his son up three days later, overcoming both sin and death. Our ostracism from God, our rebellion from God, is met with God's redemptive investment in humanity. He sent his son that we might be forgiven. We do a number of walks in our neighborhood uh, lately, just as a family, and even our family six feet apart. And so in the midst of these walks, uh, the kids are riding bikes, Valerie and I are walking, and our youngest son, Wyatt, is on a glider, which if you don't know what that is, it's imagine a bicycle with no pedals. And so the idea is kids work out balance before they work out propulsion with pedals, right? So they kind of figure that out, and then they move over to pedals, or in his case, no, I don't want pedals. And so he prefers the glider. Now, when he's gliding and doing this, he's, he's a lot like Curious George, right? He's just always curious, incredibly inquisitive. So his head is on a swivel. He's just doing this number the whole time. And so the whole time we're walking, I say, Wyatt, look ahead. Wyatt, look forward. Wyatt, don't look behind. Because he can go straight for a time and look to the side. And and even he can go straight for a little while and look behind, or he can go straight for a little while and look down. But after a while, if that's all he does, he's going to make a wreck on that bike. And we do the same thing in our lives. Our Heavenly Father comes to us and he says, don't look back at who you were. Now where we are today, he's going to tell us over and over again, don't be distracted by the present. Don't let your heart grow in anxiousness by trolling social media, by by watching the news over and over again, by listening to this expert or that expert. It's going to be over tomorrow. It's not going to be over for five years. Set your hope and promise on him who has our future secure. Don't be dismayed at the past. Don't lose heart in the present. But continue on in thankfulness, on into the future. We are redeemed. We have been delivered. We have been transferred. We have been qualified. Let us be thankful. Let me pray for y'all. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity to testify to your goodness through being thankful to you in all things. Father, I pray for those who do not know you who have not submitted themselves to salvation in your Son, that today they would reach out in sending an email to one of our elders or in connecting with us in the comments field or in sending us a message on our Facebook page. God, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would cry out to Jesus to be saved. Father, I pray that we as a people would give ourselves to joyously giving thanks. You have strengthened us to the measure of your full might. 
God, in the power of that strength, would you cause us to rejoice and to give thanks to you. And we submit these things to you in your son's name. Amen.